Hey guys, thanks for logging on. This is The Trading Desk. Jason and I today will discuss Richard Mill. Is it worth the hype or is it junk? Find out next. Oh, hello again. How are you? Welcome. Hey, this is Joshua Thanos. This is Jason Maine. This is the trading desk. We're about to go. Jason, how are you, bud? Good. Threw me off with that uh, that intro. Yeah, no, it was a little awkward. That's fine. It's my favorite thing to do. Be awkward. All right, guys. So today, like that little pre-intro says, we're going to be talking about Richard Mill. But before that, wrist shots. J-Bone. Traditional. Uh, what you got on the wrist there, man? Is this week two? This is week two. Uh, I think sexy, yeah, bro. It hasn't hasn't come off the wrist yet. Uh, so this is the uh, Rolex 216570, the polar dial, for those of you listening on the podcast. It's the white dial with the stark black uh, surrounds on all the markers. Really, really pretty contrast, kind of pops off the wrist and uh, gotten a lot of compliments on the, on the watch. A lot of people notice it. Oh, really? Um, I think it's it's a pretty cool Rolex in the, in the fact that it's uh, different, which I like about it, but mm-hmm. it's also, uh, you know, recognizably a Rolex. Right. So, so right now with the world of... Uh, sport model Rolex is going insane. This is one of the only models that sells like uh, a tad under retail. Yeah, so uh, this is the 42 millimeter model with the orange GMT hand. For for those of you that can't tell, the older 40 millimeter with the uh, red would have the red hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 42 millimeters. Uh, it's actually been pretty comfortable. I was a little concerned with having worn the uh, non-date uh, sub that I have for so long at the 40. That's right. Uh, even though I was waiting for this for a while, I was hoping that, you know, the 42 would still work for me, and it does. Uh, I think having the the uh, PAM 510 at 44 yeah, so you gives got a nice me that range. Now. So, so you have, what, two Rollies, two Rolexes. You have the no-date sub. You got this bad boy here, the Explorer 2. Yeah, and then the 510. 510. And Gold the... President, Richard Mill. <laughs> no, no, no um, not yet. What's the, uh, oh, the uh, Aerospace. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, you and I both. Look at you copying me, dude. Yeah, that's definitely what I did. Eh, well, listen, I had it first. I also had the Panerai first, too. True. Okay. All right. I'm not going down that road. All right, guys. So Ooh, I have something uh, on the wrist that's uh, new to me, a uh, a piece that I picked up recently. So this is the uh, the Omega Seamaster 300. This is the titanium and set in a gold version. Um Shiny. Uh, yeah, man. I, you know what? I like it. So uh, it's a two-tone piece. It's my first two-tone watch, I think. I think so. I go through uh, too many watches. But blue dial. The bezel pops hard, man. It's beautiful. And uh, ceramic blue uh, bezel. It has a matte blue dial. No date on the watch, but that doesn't really bother me. I know that's kind of a thing for you. You like the the, the uh, a date, though. You love your no date sub. No, I prefer no date. Actually, if this didn't have a date, I think I'd love it more. Wow, so I was wrong about yeah. that. So um, this is a piece I just picked up recently. So um, I actually had the same watch in full stainless steel with the black dial, so like the non-Spectre version mm-hmm. of this watch. And um, the problem with that watch is it was it felt like too heavy on the wrist. It moved too much, right? Um, and when I saw this watch, I tried it on, and it was like I'm like I was ready for it to be you know too heavy to move on the wrist and just not be as comfortable because I traded that watch a while back, like almost two years ago. I traded the stainless steel version of the watch, though I liked it a lot. I liked it on a strap, but I wanted a bracelet watch, right? So it didn't fit. I had to move it out. So I get rid of that watch. This one, um, I was approached about a trade for this one, and I uh, I tried it on thinking it was going to be the same situation, but 
in titanium with the gold because I tried the all titanium watch on and it was it was too light. Right. So I was like, all right, steel too heavy, titanium too light, and this watch is it's Goldilocks, man. It's just right. Just right. It, it's so For nice. Now. Right. Uh, high retail on this watch doesn't trade super well, so I got a, a sweet deal on it's a fifteen thousand dollar retail. But you find them like gray market for roughly half that. It's a little disappointing, but I took advantage of a uh, down market on the watch itself, and uh, I love it, man. I can't take it off. It's super comfy. Um, it has like the glide lock, similar to your to the Rolex, the the uh, sliding clasp. We can get a sh- you want to get a yeah. close up of that. So let's see if there's a way for. Can we get in a shot? Okay. Oh, no. There we go. So there's a little push pin, a push button in the middle there. And you slides. Need, yeah, now you just need to order that for your For C-Master. the Seamaster, yeah, yeah, for my SMP. Um, the watch is fantastic. Oh, this is... I have that too. I forgot about Oh, that's right. You got but the older one. You got too many watches. Yeah, man. So you can never have enough. <laughs> All right. So in, uh, in the rose gold is actually nice. I had a conversation with somebody in the office uh, this week about that, about how in yellow gold this would pop more, but the rose is kind of subdued. So it's like um, stealth wealth. Is how one of my customers. Uh, yeah, it's similar it. to the uh, like the root beer. Yes. Right, and the, it's it's very light. So in the right light, it just looks like steel. But when when it's a little bit darker lighting, you see the two tones. Nice. So yeah. Even when you put that on camera, uh, you got to get it in the right light to get it to two tone. Yeah. It's in the cool. sun, it actually the the rose gold kind of just melts away, and it looks like it's all steel. So it's cool, man. It, I, I'm really liking it, and. Uh, We'll see how long it stays in the collection. I like the idea of like that it's a two tone, so it has like a you know perceived cost of being like a really high end watch. Sure, but it's an Omega, so right. it's like it knocks it back down a level. Like yeah. it's, so, it's a playful two tone type of watch. You know, yeah, it's cool. I like it. Uh, again, we'll see how long. I haven't put it on a strap yet. Maybe I'll try that. All right, guys. So that's wrist shots. Next up, we're gonna skip uh, this or that because we want to talk more about the market and uh, we're gonna talk about the top five trending watches on our company's website. Watchbox.com. Got that graphic? Trending watches. Pop it up there. We'll just wait here. Hey. There we go. Oh, so, oh Jesus. All right. Well, I was not expected. By the way, neither of us looked at these watches before, and I think we want to keep it that way because we're sur- surprised by the uh, by the results. So just so happens, two of the watches on the list are watches that we have here on the desk, and we're going to be discussing them. But this is, this is probably the strongest showing um, in terms of uh, brands uh, and models specific for our top five. So why don't we start with the the number five piece, which is a uh, a Rolex Oyster Perpetual date. So it's a, like a vintage piece, uh, all yellow gold uh, Rolex Oyster Perpetual date. So that's a that watch I believe is probably on our website for less than ten. I can look it up, but we can just guess. I think it's probably like an eight or nine thousand dollar watch. Um, vintage gold date is number five most viewed watch on the website very interesting what do you think about that Jay? yeah i mean uh i think you're right this is probably the strongest show out that we've seen in the top five mm-hmm. i'm really liking this new graphic with the top five all showing up at once i sure. think it's uh it helps you know uh tell the story right so um if you're listening on the podcast then uh maybe you should watch youtube uh get some visuals i like that piece yeah. um Seven the grand, oyster the yeah the thing. oyster perpetual dates kind of a classic watch um, 36 millimeter, right? That one has the, Check and uh, see it. it might be a 34. Okay. That one has the rivet bracelet, which is kind of cool for so an older piece. 34 mil. 34. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, it doesn't unisex maybe. Uh, yeah, I would call that unisex or like a, you know, uh, a hard woman's watch. And, uh, maybe if you have a smaller wrist for mm-hmm. a guy, I don't know if it's true unisex. I would say 36 is like a true unisex. I would agree. Um, 
but I could definitely see why a lot of people are clicking on that watch because for under ten grand, all gold Rolex, yeah. um, sixty nine you know, definitely some foot price. traffic on that. So. Sorry, sixty nine fifty ask price on on a piece that looks that beautiful. It's freaking cool, man, and, yeah. and it's flashy, but it's also vintage, so it has some charm to it. All right, so that's our our fifth most viewed watch this week. Number four, also a solid gold watch, Jay. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at? Uh, yeah, just beautiful piece. So AP Royal Chrono, mm-hmm. um, two six three two zero, right. Yellow gold. Nice watch. Big chunk of gold. Um, the Chrono's, yeah, the Chrono's going to sit uh, a little bit thicker, obviously, than, like, the uh, the three-hand variant. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I like the Chrono a lot. I think it's a good way to go and not do the offshore. Uh, but this right here, screaming dress with that full yellow gold case and bracelet. Gotcha. All right, cool. Let's pull the graphic back up. All right, so in that, uh, in terms of price point, you're talking about basically a $45,000 watch with the blue dial. I think that watch actually sold this week because I don't see it on the website. So even better, cool man. So there, that's a boutique only blue, blue dial, yellow gold version. Number three is a Richard Mill watch, which is uh, going to be discussed a little bit later. That's right. So that's a Felipe Massa uh, RM11. It's titanium with uh, it's like bronze PVD. Um, probably not my favorite color variant, but it's yeah. you know the thing about RM is that it's it, it's going to be part, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. It's part fashion watch. It's also high horology in terms of the finishing and everything. So uh, the fashion watch of, uh, definitely comes out in the terms of the, um, the yeah, bronze the, PVD. So that that particular model with the the Masa limited edition, I, I feel like all the Masas they drive at more of an aesthetic mm-hmm. than you know. So it's it's got to be a little bit more flash, sure. sportier watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the orange really pops off the bronze um, PVD. It's a a little funky in person, a little bit more distinct. The picture, I think, makes it look darker. Sure. But we'll get some live shots of that same piece because it's on the table later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, RMs always. Have we seen RMs in the top five till now? I don't remember. I don't think so. RMs are are well, pretty pretty distinctive. I Producer think it says we have not had. Yeah. So. Um, I'm surprised by that because you know the bubble is up right now. Sure. People are crazy about them, so well, it's good. Uh, Shows that you know, good. and that might be the, that we have more on the website than we did recently. But and and that watch uh, is market price roughly 130, 140 thousand dollars. All right, let's pull that graphic back up once one more time. So ha, look at that. That makes a lot of sense. So as we as we've been tracking, maybe I don't know, maybe we're paying more attention or whatnot. But so uh, Rolex Submariner. So this is the one one six six one zero. LN, so it's black dial, black bezel, your basic, probably the most traded watch on the planet. Uh, more of these watches trade on a daily basis than any other. Um, and this is kind of like the first tradable watch, I would say, right? The Rolex Submariner. So this is the, um, what's the retail on this? Is that is that an uh, 8550 retail? Yeah, so when you, yes. And when you look at the, uh, you know, the prospect for this watch, like this started the Rolex steel craze. Yep. You know, um, these have always been strong. Yeah, they're always been strong, but this used to be the only watch that was strong uh, on a secondary. It was like, you'll, you'll hear people tell the story of like, you could take that watch anywhere and sure. wherever you go in the world, like someone will trade you for that. Yep. Right. That that started with the Submariner. So, well, that and I think the Rolex president, those are the two, like you got the gangsters or yeah. the gold stuff that they can pawn. But in terms of watch trading, watch guys, Rolex Submariner is something you always have to have in your collection. So it's good to see it here. And now that, Rolex is insane stainless steel sport models. This is a watch that you're going to find market price, depending on age, condition, and completeness, between nine and eleven thousand dollars, which is yeah. crazy. Because I remember when we were paying like dealers would pay four to five thousand dollars to sell it to right. sell it for like six grand. That was the 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 end. Sixty five hundred bucks. Yeah, sixty five hundred dollars like as an end retail price for a pre owned Submariner was really good value retention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not anymore, man. Days are change. All right, and the number one, 
most viewed watch this week on our website, most clicked on watch this way is the 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 gold RM11, the rose gold RM11 flyback chrono. I mean, crazy. That's a hundred and sixty thousand dollar retail price. Which again, we'll talk about it in our next segment. But these are watches that went for under hundred thousand dollars just right. a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, they Coming were on. they were eighty eighty five thousand dollar watches, and the bubble has gotten. So big that like, so the RM11 is the watch, you know, that started it all or really, really is like the benchmark for the RMs, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then if you're going to go crazy RM, like what's more crazy than the full rose gold? Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. I've sold one of these before. Yeah. It's, the watch is actually, I mean, it's, it's as baller as it gets. And now that, you know, in the past, uh, gold Rolex would be the watch that you wanted to use to kind of flex on people. Right. You know, that's the watch to let people know that you're a rich guy. Uh, RMs, that's the watch right now, and and you got to be a really rich guy to spend basically, you know, an a, an a, an apartment near the water in Fort Lauderdale is what you're is what you're purchasing. Right. You know, a one bedroom apartment near the water in Fort Lauderdale is what you're purchasing when you buy a watch like that. So, I mean, good good representation, very interesting. Maybe it means that uh, there's more money coming to the website. Maybe it means that there's more money coming into the industry. Uh, that's to be seen. But uh, yeah, man. All right. So that was uh, top five trending watches. Let's see. Do we got any good comments? Um, let's see here. And by the way, both those RMs are the previous version. So now they have the notch cases right. is, is what you see uh, coming out of Richard Mill. All right. How do you see. feel about the difference between the two? I personally, I think I like these cases a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I, cases. Pers- I'm the same way. Yeah. Um, mo- I'm trying to remember if I've ever sold one with a new notch case. I don't think so. I've sold, <sighs> I've sold, uh, quite a few arm 11s. All of them have been this version. I've even sold the original NTPT that was like a it was, yeah, like was gonna a, say the, a fifty the piece red, limited yeah. limited edition maybe even less, and that was the all red version and it was the original version because right. they make an NTPT now which is the the forged carbon they make it in different colors like the mm-hmm. red which is really hard to make actually and that's part of the appeal with Richard Mill um, is that they use specific you know not only do they make you know essentially high end. Uh, movements and well-finished movements, but it's also they use like crazy materials and stuff. So right. depending on how you like that, but it's flashy. Alrighty. Um, All right, guys. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of comments here. Looks like uh, a people... spirited conversation against the RM. There's some people that are okay with it, some people against it. Well, I Kate? personally, I mean, Sorry. so yeah, we're gonna we'll roll into like the full topic of RM, but so I think there's. Now. All right. Yeah, All right. Do next that. segment. We're talking. Do we have a graphic for this? We don't have a graphic for. Th- oh. Okay, we have a picture of a, a lady's of a, RM. Of a, yeah. All right, guys. So today's topic, for the most part, is going to be: um, Is Richard Mill overhyped? And and realistically, that's we can talk about that, and we can have our own opinions on that. But what we want to talk about in terms of Richard Mill is, you know, the high, the most, the high end of high end right now is is an independent of small independent, and how did it get there? So what's the history of it? So if you don't mind, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. So. We, uh, if anybody knows anything about watches, you know the history of watches. You know the watch world has, has evolved and changed, and it's actually right now in the middle of a big change. Um, but you know, there's one thing that most people who get into watches know. They know something about called the quartz crisis, right? So that was like the 1970s, right, Jay? Yep. So quartz crisis changed the watch world uh, vastly. So before quartz was in, uh, introduced, like if you needed a watch for utility purpose, you needed a mechanical watch, right? Quartz is invented. And basically, for a, a tiny fraction of the cost, you can get a very, very accurate watch. So now, these things are obsolete. So what happened? Swiss watch industry reshuffled and rebranded and just focused everything basically on luxury. That's what they had to do. They had no choice. Um, so, you know, 20 years later, 
brands like Rolex and Paddock were basically running things. Cartier also had some value, Omega, some of these brands, but they weren't what they are now. Um, at the in the beginning of the of the nineties, though, there was a brand called Frank Mueller, right? Frank Mueller, F R A N C K, right. Frank Mueller, mm-hmm. and he was Frank Mueller was a small micro brand. He was a, a watchmaker, I believe, he came from Paddock, and he decided to make watches that not only were utilitarian and not only were like flashy, but they were fun. And and by all accounts, I'm sure there's somebody who can find another watch brand who kind of made a fun watch, but that was the first brand that was focused only on making. Fun watches, right? Yeah, so it was bringing uh, high horology back in out of the tool watch phase or right. out of the, you know, the necessity. So now we look at tool watches as a throwback to their original watches where, sure. where they were basically built. They were tool watches, but they were built. That's just manufacturing back then. Mm-hmm. Now we call them tool watches as a throwback, but really sure. they were Those robust, watches. strong watches, mm-hmm. and they were the beginning of mass production. Right. So, you know, Frank Mueller and, and some of these other companies we're going to talk about brought high horology back to being a luxurious item in the sense that it was a fun product. Sure. There was something whimsical about it mm-hmm. again. So, well, like mechanical art. Right. So it that's made what it they focused luxury on. They again. Exactly. They saw a, a segment in the market where they can go that way, and they said, all right, let's do it that way. So, like, Let's get a, a close shot up. If you guys are listening on the app or on the um, on the podcast, you might want to log on to YouTube just for this because this watch is freaking crazy. Um, let's get let's go ahead and get a a, a, a a close up of this watch. Yeah. All right. So what I have here is a is an early Frank Mueller. This one is called the Hidden Hours. So let's see where they we, go. Yeah. So right now you can see the hour hand and minute hand are pointed directly at twelve. What time is that, Jay? That is uh. Not the correct time. Right. So the way that this watch works is you press a little pusher on the the, uh, right side of the case, and now you reveal the time. Why do you need this, Jay? You don't. Exactly, and that's the point of it. So he went outside the bo- uh, outside the box and decided to make the weirdest watches. So he they have the crazy hours where the hours on the dial are all mixed up in the in the hour hand jump. So it's basically like a like it's a jumping hour right. but with hands. So Frank Mueller was the first one and when it first came out Frank Mueller was actually uh very popular. It was kind of what Richard Mill is now. Obviously not at the heights but this was a, a brand that people really loved. It held value originally and people were it was sought after. People were paying for these watches. And what it did was it changed slowly started to change the industry from again like what you said here tool watches and companies who make tool watches who also made luxury watches but now it's just hey this is just luxury there's nothing tool about that watch and maybe the guy who wears it no, i'm just kidding uh i mean it's it's funky i can see like you know a uh like you know some weirdo wearing that watch and i mean enjoying it's, it's, actually i could probably see myself wearing that watch it's, on that it's very different when you talk about uh how kind of quirky and cool that watch is so frank Mueller understood that like taking what's cool about a watch and funky about it isn't just the case design isn't right. just so it was always movement driven which i appreciate and mm-hmm. I, that's why they were what they were i would argue that on the scale of what the watch industry was when frank Mueller was what it was mm-hmm. was probably uh just as big as rm now if you account for how big the scale of the market's gotten probably you're right so the the cool thing with that watch with the uh the hours is that's like a slip clutch the watch is always telling time mm-hmm. it's just when you re-engage that mono pusher um you know it goes back to the correct gearing so there, there's some real complication there i wonder how often it breaks uh i don't know i mean <laughs> the watches i would i would argue that a lot of the front wheelers are pretty robust the crazy yeah, hours right. you would think they break but right. they, they really don't like yeah. uh i would say it's pretty robust 
So we have uh, Carlos SS says it's an absurd watch, and that's exactly what it is. And that's kind yeah. of the point here. So you got a guy like Frank Mueller who comes out. At the same time, right around the time, you have a guy named Roger Dubuis, mm-hmm. who just passed recently, right, last yep. year. Um, and he was he decided to make similar style watches. So weird cases, a little bit more dress style, not like to the fully absurd, but just whimsical watches. So let's go ahead and get a, a close shot, close-up shot of this one, too. This is the Sympathy case. He does make another watch that's actually tougher to make, the Sympathy case with the the crystal that's cut out sure. to the same um, to the same uh, mm-hmm. shape as the case, which is even re- more ridiculous. But you can see guilloche dial. You have a lot of complication, and like this is paddock level finishing. So where Frank Mueller was going for like weird complications and some high level finishing, Roger Dubuis, who was also coming from paddock, I mean, you, you see. The level of finishing this watch is absurd. This is ridiculous. So yeah, this is a Geneva seal movement. Geneva seal movement. So the, uh, this is a watch that you'll find for less than twenty thousand dollars currently. And if it said Patek Philippe on the dial, it'd be a seventy to eighty thousand dollars watch, right? I mean, look at the clasp on this thing. Hold on. So there's been a real resurgence for these watches, right? With real collectors, the sympathy case is sure. is stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one you mentioned with the crystal that goes all the way out to the flanks of the case is the more desirable variant. Yeah. Um, but it's also, to be honest with you, it's probably the one that I wouldn't pick because if you break that crystal, oh yeah, uh, who's making it's gonna, that for you? Yeah, nobody. So yeah. I'd rather want the round crystal. But so you see, like two watchmakers who started, who kind of started off, kicked it off, and went outside the box, and you know, two independents, right? Um, so the next thing that we want to talk about and kind of what flavors to get us to Richard Mill, you also have a brand called Hublot, right? So um, Hublot is a brand that uh, it was it was a watch brand that wasn't really a, a, anything before um, uh, Jean-Claude Bivere got to it, right? And he decided to market the watch, the Big Bang. And what he did was, so they were somewhat tool watches, somewhat luxury watches. He decided to put a rubber strap on the watch, right? So now make it sporty. So that's a big deal, man. When when you when you make high like high value watches sporty, it changed the segment too. So now you open it up to more people. So again, you have Rolex buyers, Patek buyers, uh, Cartier buyers. Then you have small boutique brands who make crazy, weird, absurd watches. Then you have a brand like Hublot, who they're trying to make watches for the masses, essentially, right? So, but you know, have them more wearable watches you can wear in Miami. And one of their first ambassadors, Pat Riley, still wears those watches today. And right. so you see what we have here. We have the Unico Sapphire, which Hublot, as a precursor to uh, um, Richard Mill, you know, they were focused less on movements because that's a lot of like, you know, watch knobs um, are going to look and say, oh, these things are, are junk, right? Well, from their movement standpoint, standpoint most Hublots are not high horology. You know, these are solid movements a lot of times. Sure. But it's more about case design, which, well, not case design, sorry, case materials because they're all the designs are all the same, roughly. Right. Now with the Unico movement, which is actually a very sturdy chrono, it feels amazing. It's actually a good watch. And this is a perpetual counter chrono made fully out of sapphire. It's a three, three-part three case <laughs> made completely out of sapphire, which is unbelievably hard to do. And this thing has ro- rainbow yeah. uh, rainbow so sapphires I, on the bezel, which is absurd. I'm, I was never like a huge uh, Hublot supporter. Sorry to interrupt you. We have two comments back-to-back. Sure. One from uh, Adamas says, that Hublot is nice AF. AF means as... And then a curse word, right? Um, Jonathan Ross, just below that, says Hublot is a joke. So there we go. Those so here, let's, so let's address that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that particular Hublot is nice AF. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, most I Hublots neither of us are wearing them. are not. 
I guess. I, I've never been a huge supporter of the brand. I, I will say the Unico movement is mm-hmm. fantastic. Sure. I uh, have not had any problems with the Unico movement. I think it's the best <laughs> movement that they make. That particular case with the Sapphire is stunning. There is a red variant that I absolutely love. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the crazy rainbow diamonds are weird, but that's the type of watch. Like, they're, that's going to be on the wrist of someone weird and eccentric. So yeah. that's the style of the watch. The idea of bringing that watch on the, on the show is to show that the gap in between the legacy that is that and how we got to right. the bubble of so Richard basically, Mill. So basically the combination of this gets to Richard Mill. So right. Richard Mill was a brand uh, started by a, a this uh, a gentleman named Richard Mill who was um, a watch industry executive f- since I, b- I believe the 70s. He, he worked with uh, fashion jewelry, watch brands, and mostly on the marketing side, right? And when he turned 50, he decided he wanted to have his own watch brand. He wanted to be in full control. He had some ideas, right? He wanted to make something that Nobody else has made before. So what did he do? He made a watch that looked just like a Frank Mueller, right? So he um, he decided to make his brand. He launched it in 1999, and the first watch that he, that they released was a was called the RM01, which was a tonneau shaped watch, mm-hmm. similar to what you see here on the table uh, as these RM RM11s. It was a tourbillon. Uh, it was white gold and titanium, and I think they only made about. Uh, uh, like small run, I think the twelve watches or right. so. You can't find this. You can't find an RMO one. It doesn't exist. They're not out there, which is uh, which is kind of interesting because I was looking to see you know, for this show to see if we can find some pictures. I can't even find pictures of the RMO one. There's on their on the Richard Mill website. That's what you see them. So he decided what he was going to do is he was going to carry on in the carry on in the um, tradition of some of these smaller boutique watch brands and watch brands similar to. Uh, Hublot as well, which is not a smaller. I mean, that's a brand that makes forty thousand watches, and we can talk about that real quick. So, uh, in the beginning, uh, Frank Mueller was a watch brand that made between one and four thousand watches a year. They right. got up to making between twenty thousand to forty thousand, which, if you want to compare it, that's like a brand like uh, Honor Piguet makes about forty thousand watches. Um, uh, Roger Dubuis is a brand that started off making one to four thousand dollar four thousand pieces per year, still stays about under five thousand pieces. You have Hublot, forty thousand pieces a year, maybe more. Now you have Richard Mill, which started off making small runs, probably less than a thousand watches in the in the beginning of their uh, you know, their history. Now is making under five thousand watches a year. So you can kind of get the idea of scale and you compare that to a brand like Rolex that makes a million million watches a year. So what uh, Richard Mill wanted to do was make a watch that was purely his idea. He and one thing that was interesting about his brand is all these brands, when they make new watches, when they launch new brands, it's all about marketing data. What do people want to buy? That was the main thing that these brands would do before starting their own, uh, starting their company. He didn't do that. He decided he was going to make a watch that he liked. He had already done this. He he spent whatever thirty years in the industry doing that market data, deciding, you know, working his taste into what he wanted to make. So he did this. He, what he decided to do is put all his money not into into market research, but into design. Uh, engineering and uh, in case manufacturing. So, what do we get? We get tonneau shaped watches coming out in 1999 that uh, were extremely expensive. He did the point that he wanted to make was when we're making small runs, we're not going to skimp on price or on on cost, and we're just going to go balls to the wall. So, what do you get? You get these watches right here in front of you. Some watches that look, some people they look ugly, they're garish. Some people right now in 2019. They're absurd, but they're also in high, high demand, right? So you get a you get a brand that in the beginning they didn't hold value. So right. I've been in the industry for what we talked about six years. When I first started, 
all these watches were sold well below the original retail price. Yeah, uh, so we've definitely seen some some fluctuation, some hype uh, mm. bubble coming. RMs are they're definitely a status symbol right now. Um, you know, they're mainstream. There's a lot of you know, I would say uh, Supreme guys that wear Supreme like RM. Uh, it's it's a hell of a watch, right? The, mechanically speaking, uh, you know, solid watch. Is it mecha- mechanically superior to you know ninety percent of what's on the market? Probably not. No. But um, you know, they bring a cool fun factor to the to the wrist. They bring exclusivity, and at the end of the day, that's luxury. Mm-hmm. So if if people want something and they can't get it. Uh, the, the the hype market blows up, right? So yeah. RMs are cool um, in the way that, like, and we've talked about this before, they're cool in, like, the way that they're, like, almost not cool because they're so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're cool in the worst way possible, you I know? Guess. So while I, while I respect the brand for what they've done and, and um, you know, what they are now, I just, I can't help but think that that bubble's going to pop. We've been talking about that for years, man, since I started. Yeah. Like, you know, we're like, how can people pay? So when these watches were selling on the market for in the $70,000 range, they're like, how could you spend seventy grand on that watch? Now, these are $150,000 watches, right. and people are still are looking like, when is this going to end? But the thing is this. They only make 4,000 watches a year. Most of their watches that they make, especially the hot ones, are all pre-sold before they before they are even made, right? You have athletes, uh, musicians, and rich people all across the world who want to have at least one of these in their in their collection. So it's a status symbol and it's before when when Rolex, Cartier, Patek really I don't know if that was ever like a serious status symbol mm-hmm. other than like outside of you know in a boardroom, but Rolex and Cartier, gold Rolex Cartier were were the status symbols and they still are. Richard Mill is the highest so in terms of independence, right? Boutique independence. So we're we're going to take Rolex and Patek out of it cuz and they're also independents. Richard Mills is the, the number one independent watchmaker on the planet, wouldn't you say, in terms of sales? It would have to be. Uh, yeah. Resale I mean, value? Definitely not by unit, but because the price right. points are so high on them. Um, and people are paying, my, my, paying over yeah. retail. So the, the only thing with that with that bubble is like, so there's not a lot of art, to your point, there's not a lot of them that are produced that aren't sold right away or right pre-sold, now, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So the, the question there is when the bubble does inevitably go. I don't know if it will. Who gets stuck holding those watches? It's the end user. There's well, there's really no dealers that are going to get stuck holding a bunch of those watches because unless you're unless you're stockpiling those, which if it were my company I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like we take them on, you know, three, four, five pieces at a time, not right. twenty five. Because well, they don't just, exist in that, in well, that volume. There are there are some dealers that have you know whether or not they ha- they're in stock or they're just you know listing them is a different thing. Well, but, I'll speak to that. Sure. So uh, when I go to the IWJG shows, which I'll be at. I know guys who have 30 of these, mm-hmm. and that's all they do is deal in RM. But the thing is this, and I think that one of the driving forces be- behind RM and, you know, the the when it, if it does pop or slow down, it'll be because the demand will slow. It won't be because of the hype. Does that make sense? So the people who can afford these watches, for the most part, are people who are going to be able to afford these in perpetuity. If you're spending $150,000 on a watch, it's not because you fell I, ass backwards into some, some I agree with you know, a windfall. It's usually because you got the money. I agree with you, but what I'm saying, at the end of the day, the guy that's buying this watch is not buying it because it's the best tourbillon that he can buy, or the he's he's. So my point is, the market for this watch extends past like true watch people, hundred percent to to car guys, to sneaker, you know, all the, and it's because of the hype. Right. So when that demand falls and the hype drops, I feel like the market drops off on the watch. 
because you're Possibly. not appealing to the core, mm-hmm. you know, Turbion guys, the core movement guys. Well, we'll see because so, I've talked to people who were around in the early 90s and they said Richard Mill or Frank Mueller was the same as Richard Mill. And hey, if we look at Frank Mueller right now, <laughs> the, the demand it, it doesn't yeah. exist essentially. So in a few but, decades, we're going to be buying some sick Richard Mills. For... Maybe. But also, I would say that the the clientele for, for Frank Mueller was never, never got to where it is now in terms of of Richard Mill, and I think that a part, a lot of this, and the rise of all these independents, and I've talked about this with a few people, and also on the show, is that it's never been cheaper to market your brand. With the rise of social media, applications like uh, like Instagram, which basically you can you can market your watches completely on Instagram, and if you're a small boutique manufacturer, sure. similar to what you have on your wrist there, and that'll be the next step that we're going to talk about, is. Debathune, which is a brand that you and I both love. We have a lot of love for them. They don't have the resale value that a Richard Mill has. Nothing close. But at one point, Richard Mill is the same. So I'd love for Debathune to be the next step. I feel like, yeah. So we'll, so well, so Debathune is a brand that very small boutique manufacturer, a little bit higher level of finishing, a little bit higher level of engineering as well with the camphor lugs, the spring-loaded lugs, and the, their cases that, that are going to look ultra modern. Um, this is a brand that makes 150 watches a year. So Richard Mill makes 4,000 watches a year and watches sell sometimes double retail. This is a brand here in Debethune that has a similar look and feel, right? It looks ultra modern, and that's what Richard Mill has. One thing that I think Debethune would need is they need to align themselves with the, with the automotive world because that's one thing that Richard Mill did. And one of the geniuses of Richard Mill's uh, marketing is that when he found a brand ambassador, he said, the only requirement that we have is that you wear the watch while you're doing whatever makes you famous so if you're if you're a race car driver wear the watch while you're racing uh if you're a uh you know if you're foot race right if you're a sprinter wear the mm-hmm. watch while you're sprinting uh if you're a tennis player golf player whatever it may do maybe wear the watch while you're doing that and that's one thing that helped you know push them into where they are now right you're, I would hope you're basically would creating that culture for the right. brand so, so watch nerds only like debithune right now and up until now now it's start we're starting to see movie stars wear this yeah, well, so that's where the trends come from, right? The people that know what they're looking at set mm-hmm. the trend, and then people start to notice it. And then, so David Thune, uh, first of all, this watch is unbelievably comfortable to wear. That's so good. Um, this particular yeah. piece is what a is limited it? edition steel yeah. wheels. So you're looking at the DB28 steel wheels. It's a limited edition here. If you, I mean, well, you can see that watch fits your wrist and my wrist exactly the same. So we have very different shaped and size wrists. Yeah, Let's here, see. go ahead, take a Thanks, look. Man. Put it on your wrist. Oh, bro, it's so nice. It's it's so light. Um, being titanium, it fits the wa- the the Polish watch fits your wrist so incredibly well with the the spring loaded lugs. Um, so look at that, yeah. I sold this weekend a uh, the Digitale, which is the DB28, but the Jump Hour variant. Mm-hmm. And though I put it on my wrist for I I kid you not, like, it's like Star Trek three watch. minutes before I, I boxed it up and set it and shipped it, and fell in love with it. I mean, I think so, they're awesome. awesome. I think that this is where, you know, we've we've touched on this just a bit, but I feel like this is where the guys that are buying this will hopefully go to this next year. Transition into real watch guys and then eventually uh, and we know that the, you know, the small independent makers are coming up and are going to blow up in the next couple of years mm-hmm. and I believe David Thune is is put himself right there. I would hope um so we we have some inside sources on David Thune and some people that are like really in tune with the David Thune market, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Jorn actually refers to right. uh, David Thune as probably like on par with his watchmaking. Right, um, and he's crazy, and and that's a guy who 
Bjorn is. If he says you know something, that that guy believes it. Yeah, he doesn't. You know? He's not a bullshitter. So yeah, he's not a bullshitter. So I um you know I don't know. That's a type of watch you can get lost staring into. You know, mm-hmm. like the Richard Mills are awesome. Once you've seen one, I feel like you know you've seen one RM11 you had on your wrist for a little while. Mm-hmm. You kind of like all right, they're all kind of cool, but they're the same. Well, what you see when you see somebody wearing an RM, you think that's a rich guy. When you see a guy wearing a Debethune, you say that's a watch guy. But I think RM was in uh, similar. That's a rich watch guy. <laughs> well, that's Debethune. well, exactly. So, but the thing is, you're going to buy these uh, on the open market. The street price for for these watches um, is going to could not be you know more different. Right. So, you know that's what we're, that's what we see going on. So the question to start the uh, to start the the conversation was. Is Richard Mill overhyped? Well, I'd say that if you're a watch guy, um, even if you can afford it, you might feel like, yeah, that may be the case. Right now, do they hold value? Without a doubt. Uh, if you buy these watches and you try to sell them in 20 years from now, are they going to hold value? If I'm betting, I'd say no. But, I mean, the only time will tell. 4,000 watches a year, how many rich guys are there out there? When you see a watch like a Debethune, if you can buy that watch, say, open market for half the original retail value, is that a watch that... I think will gain momentum and go up in value in 20 years. I'd say yes. So I'd compared agree with that. to David I will I will go ahead and say that I believe you know 90% of the of the purchase of Richard Mill is based on what it is right now. Yeah. For most people. Mm-hmm. So I believe it is hype. I believe it's a bubble. Um, you know whether that's next year, the year after, five years, I don't know, but I think it's coming. Unless something drastic happens that changes the path for Richard Mill, mm-hmm. uh, that could happen. I don't know, but for me, and, and we've agreed on this before, just to, to reiterate that point, uh, small independent watchmakers are probably the next boom yeah. in the next five years or so. I would say Jorn's already happening. Yeah, you have Laurent Ferrier that's gaining gaining steam. You have, but there's there's so many good ones. Um, what's a, a Crivia? It's the next one. I think that you're going to see a big boom on as well. So, I'd say that. If you are a fan of independent watch uh, watches, even if you don't like a Richard Mill, the fact that Richard Mill is so sky high is good for the entire industry because it sheds light. You know, all boats rise, something I like to talk about in terms of markets. And if Richard Mill is way up here, then people are going to compare a Debethune or a Crivia or Jorn or whatever as an independent. It's going to be grouped together and the whole market's going to go up. So. Especially if we continue on this trend where like the stuff that's you know, let's face it, mass produced continues to be hard to get at retail. Can't find the watch. Like people will start to look elsewhere, which we've talked about before. And there's a lot of good offering. Other other companies are stepping up their game. You know, uh, Tag had a had a, with the new their new pieces at uh, at Basel had a really good Basel. Seiko did a, a lot of great stuff. And I think they're gonna start to pick up um, a lot of slack from like what Tudor didn't put out. They're starting to gain market share. So. Um, you know, it, big independents are, are – it's only dollars. So mm-hmm. the same problems that guys that can't get a sub and go buy a Grand Seiko is the same thing when guys want a Richard Mill, but they go look at a David Thune. It's just dollars. Yep. So we'll see what happens. But. All right, guys. So I think we're going to wrap it up now. We've been yammering on for quite some time, and the and the uh, the comments are going off the rails here. So, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. If you have any questions – uh, or concerns, or want to buy one of these watches on the table, you can certainly reach out to Jason or I. Um, you can see our is our information on the screen there. It was. It, was. it just it just passed. All right, so yeah. there you go. We got cell phone numbers connected to these cell phones here. Sometimes we answer, sometimes we don't. 
depends on how we feel. You can also email us. You can find, you can Google our names. You can find our emails. You can also subscribe to our channel. We're at what, 73,000 viewers. It's unbelievable. We're very proud of ourselves. It's amazing. You can also check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on what other platforms? Grubhub, Uber Eats.